This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is sponsored by The Fire Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting thefirestore.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzow. I'll be your host. With me, as always, is the commander, Janelle Fasquet. She is the editor-in-chief of Fire Rescue One. Uh, I, of course, am Fire Lieutenant. Um, Janelle, how are we doing today? Doing good. I'm feeling sharp. I got eight hours of sleep last night, so feeling good. Feeling good. Uh, you're already sucking up to our, our, our guests today, <laughs> but I'll tell you what. If we do our jobs today, we're going to put people to sleep. Because our guest has a dream, and we're going to get into that with Dr. Glenn Landry today, who is a sleep expert. Um, Doc, thank you for being here. How are you? I'm doing really well, and uh, I'm thrilled to be on the podcast with you today. Thanks for having me. Well, we, we got your name through uh, a friend of the show, Ben Vernon, and he, he spoke very highly of you. And then we started to do some research, ask some questions, do our background, uh, you have a lot of experience. You studied circadian rhythms for 25 years. You have your doctorate on sleep and shift work. Um, you also did that with a little bit of, of research on older adults. You've created a curriculum for uh, educating us in the fire service about you know shift work and sleep. Where did that start or where did that connection with shift work uh, and your kind of passion to improve sleep come about or how did that start? You know, honestly, I this will be a bit of a long-winded answer, but I came to the field honestly because as a teenager, I just simply couldn't sleep. I had dutiful parents. They were working professionals. They wanted me in bed for, say, you know, 10, 10, 30 as a teen, and I just couldn't fall asleep. And over time, I learned that, that you know, that they were exhausted. They'd fall asleep by 11, and they slept hard, and they'd be out until you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And so over time, I realized that this was the best time for me. So the hours from about 11 o'clock at night until 4 in the morning were my favorite time of day, even though it wasn't day. And I would study and I could, you know, write papers and, and do all of that. My brain was programmed to be alert and, and function really well at that time. And so it became my favorite time. Uh, the problem was uh, the morning was not my favorite time. And I really struggled in the morning, so much so that I skipped a lot of classes in high school in the morning. But I was a good but not great student. And I wasn't a problem student, so the teachers never really did anything about that. And, you know, I'm 54 now. This was a very long time ago. Uh, so there was no, you know, immediate emails to the parents to say your kid missed school and all that kind of stuff. And so... Um, Life-changing moment number one for me was uh, once I did make it into university, uh, meeting Dr. Ralph Misselberger, a world-renowned expert in circadian rhythms and sleep. And so he, you know, he taught me how to take control of my sleep. And from that moment on, I was able to, you know, be able to get to sleep by about 10 o'clock and sleep until seven in the morning and sleep really well. And that the life-changing moment was that I went from being a good but not great student to being able to compete and win national scholarships that allowed me to fund my honors degree, my bachelor's, my PhD, and, and as well as my master's. And so that made a really big difference for me. I was able to, you know, study what I loved to study. I joined his lab and I did, you know, all the degrees there. And then eventually I went to uh, university at uh, UBC in Vancouver. And that's when I really started looking at the science and applying it and the research to uh, humans. Uh, so in my honors, my master's and my PhD, that was all animal model, really where you could control every aspect of, of uh, this organism so that you could uh, really understand what drives circadian rhythms and sleep. But, you know, my, my mom would always say, well, that's really good. But, you know, my, my son's a doctor, but not the kind that helps people. <laughs> and and so not, that's, that's going to change today, especially. Yeah. So, so the, the, thank you for that. And, and so the focus then shifted to, okay, we know these things, but how does that work for people and in particular older adults and shift workers whose sleep we'd known is is a mess let's be honest 
And so that led to life-changing moment number two. Uh, and that was learning that we have a family history of Alzheimer's disease. In fact, you know, and pardon my French, but we have really shit genes in my family. And it means that we're at much higher risk of Alzheimer's disease, uh, cardiovascular disease, obesity, uh, and type two diabetes. And the reason for that is that these genes that I have, they'd be great if I was in Africa and I had no access to food. And so every little bit of food that I had, these genes would extract maximum value out of that food in terms of fat and cholesterol. But I don't live in Africa. I live in Canada and we have abundant access to, you know, really rich foods. And so what that means is this gene, the brain's like an engine. It produces exhaust. And this gene just produces much more of that exhaust. And so the life-changing moment about 2013 was discovering that even though I have these terrible genes, if I am an elite sleeper, and I mean among the best sleepers in the world, it literally negates the impact of that gene. And what it means is that I'm able to, because sleep washes the brain, this extra exhaust that I'm producing by being an elite sleeper, I'm just washing it away. And so I actually don't have more risk than the average individual. In fact, I probably, because I'm an elite sleeper and the average person is a poor sleeper, I'm actually able to wash away more of that exhaust and I'm at less risk than the general public probably for, for those diseases that I talked about. And key point there is those are really diseases of aging. We, you know, all of those factors, what's happening is the way we currently sleep, it's putting us, if you will, it's accelerating aging. That's essentially a, a simple way to look at it. If we're a poor sleeper, we're accelerating our aging. We're borrowing from the health of our retirement years if we're a poor sleeper. And that is especially true as first responders who do the shift work and so what's the relationship? How did you get involved, starting to work and help with uh, first responders? Yeah, so that's life-changing moment number three. Um, and learning that I needed to, you know, take care of my sleep and understanding from, you know, my graduate work and my postdoctoral fellowship that there are these things that we can do to impact sleep health. We put together interventions and that was really the the genesis the beginning of these these interventions that we developed that work to improve sleep health for older adults and shift workers and so life-changing moment number three was realizing that as an academic and being faculty track uh you know my job there was to produce science and publish it um but there's this gap that existed and that was this translation gap where you take these findings and you apply it to people's lived experience to improve the quality of their lives. And you're not paid to do that in university. And so I had to, you know, again, life-changing moment number three, I had to make this decision that I was going to transition from academia into private practice because at that time, I knew science is really important. It's going to continue to evolve and we will have new findings and it'll improve our interventions. But we already know enough to have an impact in people's lives now. And so that's what led me to developing the programs that I do to help people today worldwide. And you got a program called Surviving Shift Work. Um, and it's available on your, your website. Your, your company is um, Circadian Rhythms and Sleep. CRS, which, uh, you know, my family also has Alzheimer's and we used to say CRS is uh, can't remember shit. And it was great for you to say, look, you can reverse that a little bit because sleep helps to get rid of exhaust, um, you know, that your brain winds up creating uh, as it works and functions. Um, so let's go into a little bit. All right. So you started this course, you know. Let's get, let's say, where do you want first responders to begin with? What do you want us to understand first and foremost? That's such an important question. So thank you for that. Uh, so surviving shift work, it really started with, I would go and do these in-person seminars and that limits our reach. And then when COVID hit, I was just fortunate that we had recorded these sessions and uh, made them available online so that we could increase our reach. And essentially what I want you to think of it, it's 10 lessons, it takes about six and a half hours for people to get through it 
think of it as Netflix for sleep health. And so the impact there, when we started the program, it used to be two days, two full days of training. We've managed to get that down to six and a half hours in these two, 10 lessons. And day one was really about circadian rhythms and sleep science and understanding everything you need to know um, about these things that impact, you know, our human health performance and our safety and in terms of sleep health. And then day two was really all about how you go about improving your sleep health when you're working in a shift work regime or, or system. And so when it started, people would say, you know, Glenn, let's, let's just eliminate the first day. You know, that's a bunch of bad news and nobody wants to hear that poor sleep is, is accelerating aging and it's actually shortening our lifespans and things like that. So we tried that. We tried to, uh, you know, just do the day two. These are the things you need to do to improve your sleep. And what we found is that we, we absolutely couldn't. Uh, it, when people just did that second part, they didn't improve their sleep health. You need to understand the sleep science first and understand circadian rhythms. You need to understand how these things have an impact on human health and performance. And then with that knowledge, you apply it to your own lived experience. And that's where day two or the, you know, the lessons six through 10 really make a difference for shift workers. So that's the program. And we've now rolled that out. As you say, you can go to elitesleep.ca uh, and, you know, it, the course is called Surviving Shift Work, and they can access it right now. What's the most important thing for us to know about circadian rhythms? And I know this is a complicated question, but yeah. I have total faith that you can firefighter it down for me into a, a, a way that I can understand it. Think of it as drinking from a fire hose. But essentially, the 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 fact is that in order for us to have optimal sleep health our brain and our body must be ready for sleep at the time we've scheduled to sleep because there are these processes that have to happen in advance so that we can make the most of that sleep window the time that we've scheduled for sleep and so that is absolutely the most important thing i would boil it down to three things first build a sleep window second you want to protect that sleep window with what you do during the day as well as what you do at night when you can't sleep and then the third thing is understanding that we have a sleep accountant what i call a sleep accountant is the physiological processes that you know drive our sleep wake and that sleep accountant's job is to track our previous sleep wake history look at the kind of day that we've had. So no two days are the same. Some days might be physically strenuous. Other days might have just been emotionally taxing or that you may have faced trauma. I mean, first responders are facing trauma as a, you know, normal course of daily lives. They're attending these, these uh, scenes. And, and when they attend it, you know, the people that they're helping, that's their worst day. But for a first responder, it's just another day. Now, just another make call. no mistake, yep. it's just another call and it needs to be. But for each one of those calls, and this, I'm sure Ben talked about this, for each one of these calls, that's like a rock that's just going into the backpack. And sleep is critical because it empties the backpack each night if we get the sleep we need. But key point, our sleep accountant must be ready for sleep and have prepared for it so that it can balance the books. That's essentially what the sleep accountant's doing is it's figuring out exactly how to balance those books given the sleep window you provided. And so that's really the recipe. Build a sleep window, protect the sleep window, and let your sleep accountant balance the books. But can the sleep window be at any time? And with the circadian rhythms, if it's different every day, just do the shift work, how then does it fall more to the preparation of the window than the actual window itself? Janelle, that's a really important question. And that is what I would say is that, so we have circadian rhythms, daily biological rhythms. We have daytime physiology, biology, and behavior, and we have nighttime physiology, biology, and behavior. And we need to keep them separate because they're incompatible processes. Day must be day, night must be night. Now, the problem that we have 
And I've said this before that we're all shift workers because sleep's the first thing we sacrifice to meet the growing demands of work, family, and social life balance. The issue is that when we're shift workers and for first responders, they're, you know, a higher level of shift work and the fire service, we're talking about 24 hour shifts and all of that. So there are some dramatic uh, impacts of that. The, the key is that you're turning your nights into days and your days into nights. And that actually just flattens out circadian rhythms. It's very much like arriving on scene to a cardiac arrest. There's no heart function at all. They go in, they go with the paddles and they start that heart and they get a sinus rhythm. Same kind of concept for circadian rhythms when we're doing shift work and we haven't been doing it correctly. And I'm not talking about the shift system. I'm talking about turning our days into nights and our nights into days from a circadian rhythms perspective, flattening out circadian rhythms. We need to shock the system back into a high amplitude circadian rhythm. And the way we do that, Janelle, is we have to take the circadian shifting out of the shift system. So we're still working nights and trying to sleep during days or working days and trying to sleep at night and we're alternating. But by managing these uh, impacts that affect circadian rhythms, and they are light, food, and activity, to be simple, those things are keys that drive this is day versus this is night. By managing our light exposure profile, our meal times, and all of these things within a shift system uh, regime, we can actually take that circadian shifting out of the shift system. And that is what surviving shift work is really all about. Teaching people the sleep science, circadian rhythms and sleep science, teaching them what the time cues are. And then the second day, the you know lessons six through 10 is really all about, well, how do you work at night without shifting circadian rhythms? That's the, the key. Well, and just quick follow up on that. So if someone has a day where day and night just nonstop runs, right? There's just no room for sleep. Then they get their day off. If you sleep like the whole time, basically trying to make up for the lack of sleep. Does that help, you know, take those rocks out of the backpack or is it actually messing up the circadian rhythm further? Yeah, that's a really important question. So it depends on how it's done. In order to empty the backpack that we've been talking about, that's actually REM sleep. Uh, so rapid eye movement sleep, dream-related sleep. It's processing the day and it's actually removing the negative emotional tag to that traumatic event. So think of a, a traumatic event as really a learning event. It's uh, in this case, hell no, don't do this again. And so there is this negative, think of it as the sympathetic nervous system tag that's associated with it. And so what REM does is it processes that out so that you can live and learn from that event without having to go right through that sympathetic spike. And so that's the fight or flight response. And so that's what REM is doing. So to answer your question, in order to empty the backpack, you need to be able to get REM sleep and properly staged with all the other stages of sleep. Very briefly, sleep architecture, when we talk about people getting healthy sleep, it's not just how many hours you slept, even though that's the general conversation that everybody has is, well, I slept eight hours, so I had a great sleep or, you know, I, I was up all night and didn't get any sleep. They're thinking in terms of duration, but the truth is, is that healthy sleep is proper sleep architecture, not just duration. And quality. so quality yes, or quantity. That's sometimes. correct. And so if you get good quality, it means that you're getting the proper sleep architecture. You can think of it simplistically as deep sleep. That's the sleep that washes the brain, grows new neurons and tissues, repairs and restores tissues throughout the brain and body, builds immune system function. That's deep sleep. Light sleep is a misnomer. It doesn't mean poor sleep necessarily. It just means it doesn't take much to wake someone up out of light sleep. But light sleep is really important. It consolidates learning and memory. 
uh, think muscle memory. That is light sleep. Um, anything that you need to be able to do without thinking about it, say for athletes, read and react, or for first responders, very much being able to respond to a situation, situational awareness, and respond to that situation quickly without really thinking about what needs to be done because you don't have time, that's light sleep. Light sleep also processes the day and says, okay, these were the things that must be remembered. This was really important. We're inundated with a ton of information, but some of it is critical for future success. That's light sleep. REM sleep, we've already talked a little bit about that. It's also consolidating learning and memory, but a different kind of learning, if you will. It's knowledge acquisition instead of skill acquisition that is really light sleep, skill acquisition for light. REM is more that knowledge acquisition and also building our resilience to trauma, our resilience to stressors. So when we're sleep deprived of REM, let's say, things that wouldn't normally bother us almost become unbearable. It's the kind of thing, and anger management is a key as well. When we, you know, are just irritable, you can look at REM and say, okay, we're not getting enough of that potentially. And so that's when I'm talking about what healthy sleep looks like. That's really what I mean. It's, you know, the proper sleep architecture, getting a ton of deep sleep in the front half and then alternating light sleep with REM sleep in the back half. Think of it as washing the brain and body and then using that well-washed brain and body to consolidate learning and memory, process trauma, build resilience to stressors and creative thinking. That's another thing that's really important for REM sleep. During REM, we're dreaming. And in that dream state, we don't have all the rules and regulations of daily living. And so we can think outside the box. And that's why people will say, you know, if you've been perseverating on a problem and you just couldn't come up with a solution and then you woke up in the morning, and you were like, huh, why didn't I think of that? This is the solution. Mm-hmm. That, that's REM sleep. So you brought up a great point and brings me to my next question. And we talked about this a little bit. I prepped you for it. I said, okay, so not right now we got listeners who say, well, that's fine, but I don't really need that much sleep. I, I've been able to function on less sleep. You know, of course, first responders, we think, well, for the general population, I knew what I was signing up for. So I don't need as much sleep. It, I don't feel like it affects me. (laughs) I, I laugh because we, you know, when you talk to significant other pe- others in their lives, they all, you know, like Dr. Zemlock, who is a relationship expert, she goes, uh, "It does affect you." Um, so let, let's uh, let's just say I'm that person that says, "Hey, doc, this is great, but I only need like four or five hours. I feel like I'm fine. It doesn't affect the way that I I uh, am. It doesn't affect my mood. It doesn't affect my performance. You know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, kind of deal." What's your response to that? Well, the first thing to say is if you think back to the intro, I completely understand because I was that guy, right? Like as a, as a teen, I was routinely functioning on less than four and I thought that I was doing really well. Now, clearly not doing as well as I could have been, but there's a couple of factors that I want to really lay out. So the first thing is that when we are short duration sleepers, and then we actually, you know, get more sleep very often, something you didn't mention, but very often what, what you'll hear is, man, I function best on four to five, but if I get more than that, I wake up and I feel like shit, like it's actually worse for me to get more sleep. Okay. And that's very common. The first thing to understand is that our brain has the capacity to compensate. And we're built for that. We are built for the ability to accommodate a short duration sleep. Uh, That's just part of, think of it as the sympathetic nervous system, the, you know, superhuman performance for a brief period of time. That's really what it's doing. The fight or flight gives us the ability to do something superhuman, but in an acute situation. It's not intended for chronic use. It's a short term solution to. Yes, it's a short term solution. Right. But the issue is that when we chronically engage that system, we're overworking and going beyond design. And so the impact is that it actually accelerates aging. But we don't sense that because it's a decades long process. So we think I'm functioning well. We think we are. 
Now, as your guests previously had mentioned, we aren't doing as well as we think we are. And others will be able to notice it. But we're looking at it from our own lens. And from our own lens, we think we're, we're doing great. Yeah. We're now, also surrounded by other zombies like ourselves who are probably doing the same thing. Oh, they're not probably. Look, the, the data points that we are a bunch of zombies, right? Especially on, you know, third days of swings or whatever. Exactly. Um, but, but misery loves company and we look at around and everybody's sleep deprived in most cases, right? The way that I would, yeah. And, and not just shift workers, you know, like this is something that's happening to us worldwide. I talk about it as being a silent pandemic. What we call normal sleep now is actually poor sleep. We're sleeping worse than ever before. And this is, there's many, many factors and we don't have enough time today to really go through all of those factors. But from a first responder perspective, what I would liken it to is a slow descending fog that you don't really notice at first. And it is this cognitive fog that becomes a new normal. So you're just functioning in this level and it becomes normal and you see it as I'm doing well. When in fact, you are borrowing from the health of your out years. And we've known this for decades that, you know, shift workers, it accelerates aging and it actually accelerates death. And so for those people that say, I don't have time to sleep, I'll sleep when I'm dead. The bad news here, and I did tell you I would be direct. The bad news is that you're going to die a lot sooner than you expected to. And even worse than that, your final 10, 15 years aren't going to be, you know, all sunshine and rainbows. You're going to have some poor health impacts because you are literally borrowing from the health of your retirement years when you are burning the candle at both ends now. And so there is a long-term impact. It's a decades-long process. It takes a really long time for people to really become aware of it. And for a lot of it, they just say, oh, man, I am getting old. I'm feeling older than I really should. But we accept that. And that's something that we really should be raging against the dying of the light, if you will. We, we are currently accepting things as outside of our control when, in fact, they're an impact of chronic sleep debt. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want you to think of is that it doesn't take decades for some of these impacts to have uh, an effect right away. Uh, within three successive nights of short duration sleep, we're what I would say is we're really designed for a 16-hour waking day and an eight-hour sleep during which we get seven hours of actual sleep. If we get that, we begin the next day with a well-washed brain and body and we've got a clean slate. But if we don't, if you do that three nights in a row, let's say an hour short, then that's the equivalent of pulling one all-nighter. And the impact of that is we aren't who we think we are. So I would, I would liken it to two drivers, okay? I want you to think of it, that sleep debt is having an impact on our frontal cortex. That is the CEO of the brain. It's a control mechanism. It is the, it's the parent in the room if you will. So that mechanism, when we're sleep deprived, it becomes impaired. So it's a brake pedal that is non-functional. And there are two gas pedals that I want you to think of. The first is our emotional reactivity. That's one of the things that I mentioned a little bit earlier. We become much more reactive to our environment emotionally when we're sleep deprived because emotional reactivity activity is a gas pedal and without the brake pedal that's controlling our emotions, think anger management, without that brake pedal, we just become all gas. That's the first. The other gas pedal is our inner adrenaline junkie, our risk appetite. And one of the things that dramatically changes with that gas pedal is that when we're sleep deprived, and this really is important for first responders, because... They have to be situationally aware. They have to assess risk. They have to follow their training. But the thing is, when we're sleep deprived, we underestimate the risk of a given decision and we overestimate the benefit of a decision. And so we tend to go outside our training because we don't assess risk and reward properly when we're sleep deprived. So we've got this anger management issue and we've got this an inner adrenaline junkie, 
And it completely changes who we are when we're sleep deprived. And then after, in a say after action report, we'll say, what the hell was that guy thinking? He knew better. We have trained these people to be better. And yet they made a mistake and we blame the individual for the mistake. And we very often underestimate the impact that fatigue and poor chronic poor sleep has had. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision we make as a company is about you, our customer. We wouldn't be where we are today without you. And we don't take that lightly. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at thefirestore.com for everything but the truck. And shop our family of brands, including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Now let's get back to the show. And and then the other side of this that is just starting to get, I think, a lot more um, attention is we need that sleep to process the trauma mentally, right? So you're talking about, obviously, our decision-making is poor because of lack of sleep. Health, which, you know, as you said, uh, we're accelerating all of these different health issues. We'll look at the fire service, cancers, high diabetes, obesity, heart attack, or heart disease, sudden cardiac arrest, like all of those are high. Um, and then like the, like I was just getting to, we need that sleep to empty the trauma from our brains as yeah. well. And now you look at mental health, PTSD, um, and, and which our friend high ben, suicide rate, high suicide rate. So talk about that a little bit then, then why is that so important for the PTSD and for the mental health? Okay, so let's go back for one second and address cancer for a second. Because yeah. in the in the fire service, that's a, you know, one of the things that they're all talking about is carcinogen and exposure to carcinogens. But what very few are talking about is that we we have cancer fighting built into our system at night. Uh, so melatonin is a hormone that's really important. It prepares the brain and body for sleep, but it also plays a key role in this cancer fighting process. We we produce cancer cells as a normal course of daily living, but we have these mechanisms in place that identify the cancer cells and then we'll work to uh, target them and remove them, destroy and remove them. And we literally pee that out in the morning. So sleep's critical. Melatonin's critical for that cancer component. So yes, firefighters are getting more exposure to carcinogens, which means that they need to be even better sleepers so that they can process that better. That's cancer. Another interesting thing about fire service is that cardiovascular disease is really high, which when I first became aware of that, it was one of those things that when you think of fitness for duty and and all of the physical training and the, the health impacts and being, you know, they should be at much lower cardiovascular risk. But what we know is that they're not sleeping well, and that has a huge impact. And so it's driving cardiovascular risk. You talk about obesity and type 2 diabetes. Well, by eating big meals at night, when the brain and body isn't ready for food at that time, even if you're eating really healthy foods, more of it is going to fat and blood sugar. And so both of which are toxic for the brain and the body. And so it's really a function of, it's not just what you do that matters. We know that we got to eat, right? We got to exercise and get lots of sleep. Well, firefighters have been doing those things except for the sleep component. And what we now know, and this is a huge part of surviving shift work, is that it's not just what you do that matters. It's when you do those things, the right time to eat, the right time to get light, the right time to exercise, all of these things. And to be clear for the people that are listening, You can work a shift work system and still remove the circadian shifting so you can stay day. You can anchor to the day. Now, more of the training is is critical to understand what to do, and that's outside the scope of today's interview. But that those things are possible. There are things that we can do to work shifts and still be healthy. And then the mental health side of it, how clearing that, right? Like, yeah, the, the mental health clearing. side, here, we, we mentioned this, but first responders are facing more trauma in a set of shifts than most of us would in a lifetime. Yeah. And each one of those has an impact, but 
it's just another day for the shift worker or the first responder. So we but think there is this impact long term. It's additive. And so healthy sleep, as we mentioned, REM sleep is critical for emptying that backpack. Being able to get a healthy sleep allows us to start with a clean slate instead of this building trauma. Perfect. I wanted to emphasize that twice because I think we don't understand that as a fire service. We don't relate our health issues to the sleep. Now we're starting to, I believe, uh, you know, conversations like this really, really help. And, and Janelle, right? Like a lot of our, our other um, conversations and guests are just starting to really start to push this side of things. If I can add one thing to that, what I've noticed in working with first responders is that a lot of times the straw that broke the camel's back and they just weren't able to report any longer, you know, like they, they eventually, instead of taking a knee voluntarily, they were just flat out and they just couldn't function in those cases. Very often it's just another call. There was nothing extraordinary mm. about that call. It was just another call, like hundreds, if not thousands before it. But for yeah. some reason, this was the one. And what I would say is from a health, sleep health and mental health perspective, it's just if you keep adding to the backpack, it could be the exact same rock. You're just adding that same rock, but eventually that backpack is just too heavy to carry anymore. So what I would say in, in the first responder community, there is this thing where they're there to serve. It, as you said, they signed up for this. This is my job and it is my identity and I can't take a knee because I'm going to let down my brothers and my sisters and I can't do that. But the, the thing I want you to understand is that if you, if you don't take a knee and do these things to prepare yourself better for your shift where you're getting the sleep you need, you're not going to have a choice. You're not going to be taking a knee you're flat out. And so that's, you're just going to be knocked out and you won't be able to be there. And it'll take a lot longer for you to recover and get back into service. So understanding it's not a weakness. And the other thing too, is that we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And I honestly, I, I rage against that because it really should be seen not as a disorder, but as an injury. An injury, not like just like any other injury that needs to be addressed. If you broke your arm in service, you'd get a cast, you'd get it treated, and you'd get back to work. You'd heal. PTSI, same thing. It's an injury that needs to be addressed. And there, we have tools. You know, Ben talked about it. We have tools now. We have the ability to help people now. The issue is take a knee, get it fixed. And it's not a weakness. It's actually a strength to be able to do that. And I'm going outside my lane here. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a sleep guy. Um, but they are interrelated. There's a bi-directional relationship. Better sleep, better mental health, more resilience. And so that rock isn't near as heavy. I mean, like, honestly, it's. I think it's a shame that, you know, we're spending as much time as we are. We, we're having conversations, and that's a good thing. You need to have the conversation, but we've got to provide better tools. And it goes beyond, you know, we need to understand that if you're going to address mental health, we have to be looking at sleep at the same time. They, we really need to address these things together. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of sort of counterintuitive thinking that is wrapped up into this, you know, like we had Dina Ali on the show, battalion chief out of Raleigh, she talked about sleep and she told the story about this younger firefighter who was like, you know, I'm going to go take a nap, which is something that like no one else would have ever said because they felt like taking a nap was somehow a weakness or would be perceived as weakness. And she's like, this kid's got it figured out. Like he understands that there's, it's not a weakness. And in fact, it's what he needs to be doing to be better prepared. You know, this was not a lazy situation. This was a exactly. restorative process now. And so I, I think that's one thing that has been really surprising to me personally during this podcast is how many of our guests have been talking about 
the power of sleep. I mean, if you had asked me a year ago when we started doing this show what, you know, the common themes would be, I'd, you know, rattle off some ideas, it would not have included sleep. And yet sleep, I think, is the number one most common thing that is mentioned now in conversations around health and wellness and betterment. It's like everyone is finally starting to get on board with this, the importance of sleep. And, you know, with that, I would like to just ask, you know, we've talked about preparing the mind, the body for sleep. So what are those quick hit things that we need to do to prepare ourselves for the sleep window? Yeah. Give us some tools, doc, switch the hat around. Cause you got us convinced now, now I'm, I, we have our listeners are waiting with bated breath about all right, so I want to start improving my sleep. Where do we begin? What are our tools? Yep. It's it's such an important question. And everybody wants to know, you know, they'll say, Doc, what are the three things I need to do? Okay. What I can say is you have to manage your light exposure. And so I'm going to show you very quickly. These are blue blockers. Okay. And so when we're working shifts at night, you notice how I've got the blue lights on right now. This is day, but I can turn it into night by just having these on. And that is how you manage your light exposure profile. So you want day to be day and night to be night. That's a key key factor. So providing good, strong day versus night signaling. Now, the next piece is our meal times. Food is a daytime signal, not a nighttime signal. When we eat big meals at night and then go to bed, we are taking the day and we're putting it into the night. So managing our food exposure profile is key. Now, key point, I understand that I'm talking about shift workers and they're getting light at night and all of these things. I encourage you to take this surviving shift work training because it provides a detailed recipe on how to do these things. But the quick hits are managing light exposure, managing meal times appropriately so that you've got very strong this is day signal and very strong this is nighttime signal. And then the third aspect is the physical activity. And the key is during the day, you want to be breaking up sedentary. Very quickly, we've known that, uh, you know, physical activity guidelines, it used to be they'd say, you got to exercise for about an hour, three to five times a week, and you'd get great health. The interesting thing is that didn't work as well as it was expected to work. And what we now know is that people would, exercise on the treadmill or do something for about an hour and they'd wear it like a badge of honor, you know, and then the rest of their day was incredibly sedentary. And so what we, and I know that that's not the case in fire service, but just to be clear. Well, some chiefs uh, are, are listening to this going, oh, that sounds like my day. I mean, honestly, we've had them on and saying that's the hardest part is when they move to administration. Yes. Yeah, you need to right. keep moving, you know, yes. consistently. Yeah. So a day signal, lots of UV protected daylight meal times and breaking up sedentary that's your day signal then the night signal is avoiding light blue blocking avoiding food as best you can okay and avoiding breaking up the sedentary actually have as much sedentary as you can so that you got a strong day versus a night signal there are ways to do that in the fire service uh and so that's really, you know, surviving shift work. Again, I know it and it sounds like I'm plugging and I'm sorry, but uh, it, it's there to help people. That's why it's there. So the other thing in terms of the meals, I just want to hit on that one more time. When it comes to our sleep, we know it's a 16 hour waking day and then an eight hour sleep to get at least seven hours of actual sleep. That's the program. The program for food is the reverse. It should be an eight-hour meal window and a 16-hour fast. Okay. And I was going to ask you about that. Intermittent fasting has gotten yes, a lot that of- was my PhD. Yep. Uh, yep. We called oh, okay. it something different. We called it restricted feeding, not intermittent yep. Yep. fasting. But for yep. optimal health, you want to start- Now, the one thing I would say that intermittent fasting has a bit wrong is that for people, they want to have that late meal. So they start their first meal quite late in the day. And so, you know, they'll be saying, say, afternoon, uh, say one or two will be their first meal. And then they'll have their final meal a few hours before bedtime. That's actually a bit of a shift, right? It's, it's, it's putting the day into the night. night and yeah. so for optimal, optimal health, you want to start your day with light, 
start your day with food and then you want to have you know the mealtime finish the final meal well in advance of your nighttime sleep sure and so in the shift work uh paradigm what you want is to be routine about your breakfast and routine about your dinner and so you can do that when you're on you know 24s and actually Mm -hmm. the 24s it's actually you know and ben probably talked about this it is possible uh in a 24-hour shift system to really anchor for the most part and then when you got those nighttime calls you're just managing your light exposure as best you can in those situations uh and managing your meal times but that's that's the key those three things manage light exposure manage meal times and break up sedentary during the day how much do things help like um you know changing settings on your computer or your phone to go into those night modes does that really have much of an impact i mean i i do that on all my screens i have a tendency to look too much at my phone at night and work a little too late but i have these things set up so like seven o'clock it'll turn on and my screen's dim yes the answer to your question is not all of them are created equal uh and so what i would say is bring up uh a a scene like a white sandy beach with a blue ocean okay if you can see the blue it's not blue blocking and the the key again i got bright bright lights on but that is blue blocking and that's that's the key subtract the blue and you'll protect your melatonin got it And, and then the other thing too is remember this melatonin is really important for us but taking melatonin isn't the answer yeah there's multiple okay. reasons for that the melatonin you take you can't really trust the dose it's not regulated the way it needs to there's there could be other stuff in there other than melatonin you may not be able to get the exact dose that you're looking for but that's not the only reason the other reason most people would take melatonin a couple of hours before their nor- the time that they're wanting to go to bed and if you do that, it's going to cause a phase advance. It's going to cause you, it's it's like going from LA to New York like that. And so it'll wake you up earlier than you really un- intend to. And it's going to alter your sleep architecture. So taking melatonin isn't the answer. The answer is blue blocking so that you can actually preserve your natural melatonin. It's, it's always best to do it that way. I should note for the people who are just listening to this podcast and not watching that he's got some glasses he's putting over the the um uh camera. <laughs> he's putting them the over, the over the screen yes they're yeah, the yeah. Screen. and, and thank you the, and the they're, thing, they're the, thank you for bringing that up the 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 key point there if you want to know what blue blocking looks like the lenses that i put in front of the camera they're orange tinted Orange tinting subtracts almost a hundred percent of the blue that we're talking about that sh- that causes melatonin suppression. Uh, we're back and, to the color wheel. Yes, so it is orange tinting that is critical. If you have clear lenses and they say they're blue blockers, they are blocking out UV, which is just next to the blue that I'm talking about in the spectrum. So there's the, part of the problem here is that we don't have you know, it's it's a bit confusing. There's two types of blue blockers out there. If it's a clear lens and it says it's blue blocking, it's blocking UV. If it's an orange tinted lens, it's blocking both UV as well as the blue light that suppresses melatonin. And if you get yellow tinted, just a, a little bit more information, yellow tinting uh, will filter out about 50% of the blue. So orange is always more impactful for what we're talking about here. Got it. Okay, man, I have a lot of things to fix. I'm just taking furious notes over here. <laughs> okay, so I've got a question about, all right, you've either done or not done your sleep prep. Now you're actively trying to sleep. You've been awake for an hour. You cannot fall asleep. What do you do? So what you have there is a situation, well, you can have a situation where your brain is just simply not ready for sleep at that time. Now, why your brain isn't ready for sleep at that time, that there's there could be several different reasons for that. And so it's not a simple answer that I can just 
give you. Uh, what I can tell you is you have to prepare the brain and body for sleep at the time you scheduled it. And it needs to do these things to, you know, set the stage, if you will, for sleep. And so if you have these long awakenings, you, you haven't properly set the stage and it's an indicator that you have poor circadian regulation. Um, and you probably need, well, the, the course surviving shift work is designed to help those individuals. Um, and, but being honest for some people, they may need a higher level of care. And that's why we do one-on-one zoom coaching. Um, because our job is to figure out, well, why is it that you're not ready for sleep at that time? And that's very individual. It's not something that I could just, you know, tell me three things and it'll fix it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big picture. Uh, kind of, you're saying it's a bigger picture approach and yeah. there could be everything from stress management, drugs, uh, drugs, stress, yep. life history, chronobiology. Like there's so many things that have an age. There's so many things that have an impact on this. Um, and let me, let me also say, you know, I'm a sleep geek, right? So <laughs> I, I'm talking at, uh, coming to you from the lens of how sleep is really important, but let's be clear. I'm not saying that sleep is the only important thing. It is like that pillar that has an impact on other. What I would say is that it is the gatekeeper, if you will, to other lifestyle change. Like when we're not sleeping well, it impacts the food choices that we have. It impacts our lifestyle choices. So when I say sleep is paramount, it's because once you get great sleep, you become a smarter decision maker. You you make better choices for yourself. You're higher motivation. You got better mental health, all of those things. So it's really a great first step, but this is a total picture on health. Yeah. And this is a process. Sleeping is a skill and a process that I think, you know, we, we have a tendency to go, okay, it's time to sleep. Boom. No, you have to work at it. You got to set yourself up for it. And so one final question that I know is going to be, um, it's going through the minds of, of our listeners is, what about naps? So let's say I didn't get enough sleep. I got three, too many calls. You briefly touch on napping and what, what are some do's and don'ts? Yeah, it's, that's really important. So naps are actually built in. Remember we talked about circadian rhythms, daytime physiology, biology, and behavior, nighttime physiology, biology, and behavior. The afternoon is a nap window. If, let's say, and forget shift work for just one moment. Say somebody's going to bed at 11 at night, getting up at seven in the morning. If you want to know the best time to have a nap, add six hours to the wake up time. So 7 a.m. wake up, that would be just as an example, a one o'clock nap window that opens. Think of it as this gate. It's, it's time of day dependent, but it's a gate that opens that says this is a great time for a nap. So the afternoon lull, siesta cultures have it right. We are programmed to have a nap. So six hours after your normal wake-up time is where that nap window opens. And then if you're trying to figure out when that closes, you can do the reverse. Six hours before your normal bedtime. And so in the example that I just gave you, 11 o'clock bedtime, 7 a.m., that nap, nap window is somewhere between 1 and 5. Okay? Now, that gives you the time of day that would be a good time to have that nap. And then what does a nap look like? Well, if you're a shift worker and you got to prepare for a night shift, you should use as much of that as possible. But for the rest of us, you really want a sweet spot of about a 45 minute nap to not longer than 90 minutes. Um, and it's programmed. If you do it correctly, it will actually benefit you cognitively, physically, it's going to improve health and cognition. And it also, you know, if you nap in advance of a difficult night, it can make that night a little bit more bearable for you because you won't be dealing with as much fatigue. So you think of it as preventative, but we don't always know in advance that we're going to have a bad night. So the other side of that is after having a bad night, you can use the nap during the day to pay some of that sleep debt back. And so it's take some of those rocks and it's restorative. Yeah. yeah. What's it's what's the duration that we should focus on for a nap? So if you are working night shifts, so let's say 
then you can use as much of that time as you as you want. So let's say that you're in between two night shifts. You can use the entire nap window to get your sleep. But if you are, you know, on the days and you're just trying to capture a bit, not longer than four, not 90 minutes. So between 45 okay. minutes and 90 minutes would be your sweet spot. However, I will say this. If you don't have time for a 45-minute nap, even a 10 minute power nap that people will talk about can be restorative to an extent. It can buy you some unimpaired time. So nap as much as possible as you can in that window. We could go on for hours, Doc. Uh, and thank you so much for addressing our calls. And I, and for those that are, are listening to this, we've mentioned before that you can watch this on our YouTube channel. And I Highly recommend doing that. Uh, Janelle and I uh, were excited about this podcast because a lot of this hits home for us. I mean, for me, for shift work, but also, you know, Janelle, who is uh, stressed out having to deal with me all the time. Uh, and you had mentioned this is this is very valid information for all of us with the stress that we have, with uh, just the amount of light and stimuli that we have. Sleeping is going to become more and more important and more and more imperative for, for everyone. Um, is there any final kind of note or um, a quote or a kind of lasting uh, thought that you'd want our, our audience to kind of uh, to take with them um, as, we, as we can kind of conclude this podcast? Two things. The first thing I would say is that we're all shift workers. So just repeating what I've said before, sleep's the first thing we sacrifice to meet the growing demands of work, family, and social life balance. The other thing that we haven't talked about yet that I would say is that sleep is a team-based sport. Uh, think of the home. If you're going to help everybody get the sleep they need, you got to work together. And shift workers and people that aren't working shifts, it's, it's all about protecting sleep as a family unit or whoever's in that house. And that, that goes for firehouse as well. You know, it trying does. to be more strategic with meals, trying to be more strategic with um, yeah. downtime. I think we can all participate in that. And I know Janelle, we had so many questions behind. I know that I think you have one more that you want to ask uh, before I ask my final one. What do you got? Oh no, I'm just, I just wanted to express my gratitude. Thank you for being here. Um, this has been extremely helpful. Uh, how do I reach you for personal coaching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do we get, uh, if somebody's interested, how do they get a hold of you? Very simple. Glenn with two N's. So G L E N N at elitesleep.ca. Please include that in uh, the YouTube, but it, just reach out. I mean, this is my life's work. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I got one more for you. How are you personally working to get better? That's a great question. So, and you know, it's not going to be a, a surprise to you, but it's my biggest challenges are all around diet, exercise to match the effort that I put in sleep. And so I put a lot of effort into being an elite sleeper and I'm really good at that. But these calls like this, breaking up sedentary is always a challenge. And my biggest weakness is uh, Doritos and IPA. And I love Doritos at night and IPA at night. And I have to shift that. And it's a, it's, you know, it's a process. Like you said, I'm always working to, to be better at those things. Well, again, thank you so much for all of your insights. We could go on for hours. Uh, I know our listeners might have some questions. So if they do, and if you're one of them, you can email us at bettereveryshift at firerescue1.com. You can also watch the show. You can watch it through firerescue1.com. We have a, a Better Every Shift podcast banner. You can click on that. You can go to our YouTube page. We hope that you rate, review the show. And again, we, we want comments. We want questions. Doc, so many good things. Uh, I love the fact that you said, you know, you're a work in progress and we all are. And it is a kind of a total approach when you're talking about health. Focus on the sleep, focus on nutrition, focus on moving more, set some good habits. And over time, we can reverse some of these health issues that we face in the fire service. And it's not going to be done without a team effort. So thank you so much 
appreciate all the insights. Uh, and I think it goes back to, look, this is just one of uh, a big piece of a puzzle where we're all trying every single day to work to do something uh, to make an improvement in ourselves and in the fire service. And uh, like we always try to do as we end the podcast, focus on your sleep, focus on your health, focus on making yourself better because that helps you serve and be a better first responder. Most importantly, make sure you learn something, do something, and share something to make you and those around you better every shift. Thanks for listening, everybody.